Beardy and the Beast Media Club. This is placeholder intro song. All right, I am recording. I'm streaming. Nice. Thank you for joining us for Beardy and the Beast Media Club, a full spoiler discussion into a piece of media. We will only stop the spoilers when the music stops. If you enjoy what we do, please leave a follow or a rating and join us in the conversation in the comments or at our Discord. My name is Drew, and he's asserting his personhood, Dev. Yep, sure am. (laughs) I'm a real boy. (laughs) Today we'll be discussing 1992's dynasty-creating classic, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So Devin, was Buffy so lush, or was it really gross hickey? Yeah, I do appreciate you how you come up with these. <laughs> um, let, let's call it a hickey, not a really gross one. Oh, yeah, it's, it's not a great movie by any means. <laughs> no, <Nah. laughs> but it's enjoyable. <laughs> um, the, the first thing I noticed uh, out the gate was it said written by Joss Whedon, but didn't have any of the Whedon dialogue. Was, yeah. So that is interesting. So from what I understand, um, and this is a big thing why there's a lot of changes in the TV series Mm. when we're introduced to Buffy, is they basically took his idea and then did whatever they wanted to it. They wanted to make it lighter and such. So, for example, um, the TV series, Buffy references burning down the gym Mm. when she left. Well, clearly that's not what happened here. We had the dance at the end. So this became very much not his vision. Okay. And yeah, that's why there's so much retcons, as it were, in the TV series. So then I guess it sounds like the TV series was referencing the movie as it was envisioned, not as it was displayed. Yes. Okay. So I don't... I'm guessing part of that was, I mean, this is like super early in, in Whedon's career. Like we're talking, the only things he really worked on, I think he, I think it said like, this is basically his first major thing. He wrote a couple episodes of Roseanne and a couple of episodes of parenthood before Buffy. wonder what he got Roseanne to do. <laughs> I'm sure it was showing her feet. <laughs> um, so it's super early in his career. Um, and that's why, like, he doesn't consider this movie canon in any way, shape, or form. It, it's, it's a side, mm. a side version. Um, with that being said, I could see a lot of the framework that became the series. For sure. Film. Well, it looks, it looks like it had some of the lines that a lot of the show was kind kind of trying to like format the the whole being a slayer and being a like a real girl and like the fact that both cannot exist but you have to do your best to do so yeah and the way that it impacts your relationships essentially taking the secret identity trope and making it better because it's not yeah, the world of superheroes yeah, it's a good way to to put it. it. It's very much playing on the uh, on the secret identity, and we have Merrick even saying it's like no one can ever find out because that's just going to make you a big target. Mm-hmm. But you know, obviously, she Pike knows, and they build a relationship, and it's one of those things that was done in this and the series fairly well. She's not like the other Slayers. Mm-hmm because she doesn't just conform to to the role of the slayer. She goes, no, I'm going to, for lack of a better term, have it all. And that saves her in the long run. It's more a case of like doing it my way. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, what would Merrick say? It's like, you do everything wrong, (laughs) but, but that's okay. (laughs) Which in and of itself is actually not a bad message. It's like it's all right to not do it just because it's 
prescribed to be this way or well especially especially when it was explained that apparently Merrick's character has trained many slayers throughout the ages yeah and has essentially sent them all to their to their doom at the hands of Lothos yeah and I mean even he said there's like Buffy was different <laughs> um that is an interesting thread that I'd never quite understood um what is why is the watcher feeding the slayer to the vampires <laughs> it is a kind of funny a funny situation because it ends up being like all these all these slayers died under your watch what's the what's the the common thing amongst all these <laughs> it's you buddy <laughs> you got all these girls killed congratulations i mean it's it's not exactly a uh career path that is going to have a lot of longevity overall um but but in it's a lot of it because she does it differently because she wasn't trained at a young age and basically taken taken them to learn all of this stuff she you can see a good deal of flexibility mm -hmm. in the way she handles the situations might not have been you know necessarily sound tactical thing to do but it works because she's thinking outside of the box uh, i'm thinking specifically the scene when she's hunting her first vampire basically and goes into a dead end place because I know, she felt she had the advantage that type of thing i, th I think a percent a perception of flexibility has to be imprinted from seeing buffy from the tv show mm. because that would be the only circumstance where she's kind of going like a bit awry from like um where it's being expressed that she's going awry from a typical slayer role mm. whereas they made a point in the buffy series like things are working out or failing because she's doing it in her way yeah um i actually don't think they expressed like that flexibility well mm. in this film it's very surface level like i can see what you're saying about um or what you said about them just taking Joss Whedon's vision and just doing whatever they wanted to it. Yeah. Like the entire movie felt like some type of window dressing. Mm -hmm. it, essentially a, a bad, a bad reading of what actually happens in the Buffy series. It's yeah. Like if you're trying to explain like the first three seasons to some random person with a language barrier. Yeah. That, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and I guess that's part of it, because, yeah, some of this is definitely going to be projection. Like, I mean, Buffy, this series is one of my favorite series of all time. Like, yeah, it's a it's, pretty good series. Really good series. Um, and so some of that's there, I guess. At the very least, it's you can see the threads of the threads of it there. Mm -hmm. so that's a good way of saying it. It's here's and actually it's part of it, too, even like watching the like just looking at the plot beats of the film, it's not that far off from even the first season of Buffy. Yeah. But it, the entire first season of Buffy. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, the entire first season. Like, so, so I, I'm agreeing. I think that's actually a really good way of saying it. It's like, I'm explaining the first season of Buffy to you <laughs> and, and that's what you get. <laughs> the, uh, it was, is so surface level. Like it wasn't convincing. Mm -hmm. Like everything that I enjoy, I think everything I enjoyed about the Buffy movie, it was probably me like projecting or pushing like the things I like from the, the TV show onto it. Yeah. I mean, of course it did. It did have its own kind of like cynical humor to it. Um, the assert your personhood stuff and like that that weird uh uh coach and i guess the whole like pike that's a fish conversation <laughs> yeah what was, what was the actual <laughs> pike isn't a name it's a fish like those yeah. are those are very weed mesco when it comes to the, the writing yeah but a lot of it hand of the producer god definitely pushing things around and you can tell yeah 
there's so there's a couple of things in particular that I know one thing pulled or yeah a couple of things that really pulled me out of it and again I know this is projecting and I'm even thinking like because I guess interview with a vampire I think was around this time too I think so if I remember correctly so the things that stood out to me is like the vampires were terrible like just the the makeup design of the vampires was atrocious <laughs> there was nothing in there giving me any type of like i mean i, I know this is a bit more on the, again that comedy side but i mean you can do comedy horror and actually still have things i mean we just talked about cabin in the woods mm. right so so you can have both but he went you went beyond camp with some of it. And then you have things like um, Paul Rubin's um, death scene. Oh, so good. Oh, my God. It, it was just like, and then I read afterwards, like, oh, yeah, no, he ad-libbed that. Ad-libbed that. I'm like, the director should have. Should have went, what the heck? Really? Because I, I, I felt that was very in tune with the movie I was watching. Um, With the way that they presented, like, the relationships between the cheerleaders and the jocks and the vampires. And the most serious guy in the show, Donald Sutherland. And, like, even then, he was kind of goofy. Yeah, like, it was, I think... I see where you're coming from. I think it was a little too much because it wasn't making me go, oh, this is a dramatic comedic death. I'm going, it's like, did she miss the heart? I think that that might be another like imprint from the show, right? Mm. Because like every, every interaction with that character and even uh, Lothos, like Lothos himself was even like a campy silly villain yeah it's not like he was being super serious and had was it emelyn um just being camp around him mm. they had camp relationship like interactions it is a, i get where you're coming from with that it, it was just more again it, it was just it's one of those things it's like it just went on just a little bit too long so, so it pushed it out of the camp for me. Mm. Right. It's like, cause, cause you're right. I mean, it's campy and yeah, kind of having that response, but then he's on the ground and then he does a kind of another bit of a kick. It's like, uh, it's kind of that crossing the line twice type thing. That That's how it felt to me. Yeah. I could see, I could see that perception. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> apparently this was nominated for an award. Oh, <laughs> teen choice or something. Uh, <laughs> Chainsaw, oh, Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. That's it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not really relevant. I was just like very surprised, like looking over and I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. Suicide Squad is an Academy Award winning picture. Nothing surprises me anymore. <laughs> Music? Uh, costume design, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Not terrible. I mean, not terrible. Yeah. It's just really funny saying that, though. <laughs> Yeah, I, love, I like Suicide Squad. First one? I haven't seen the other one, but I assume it's as laser punchy as the other one, so, like, whatever. Just like that movie where I expected them to go in and do some acrobatic thing and, you know, kick somebody with their fist. I, <laughs> I came into Buffy the Vampire Slayer remembering it not being great. Yeah. And going, pretty sure this was a comedy with vampires. Yeah. <laughs> so I was able to enjoy it that aspect. The problem is it it wasn't a horror doll. Yeah. Didn't have any any horror vibes except for the fact that ooh, vampires. There wasn't that much action. Mm. Far less action I remember, but then again imprinting from the series. Uh not much of a comedy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, again, the, 
this is 100% pure pro- projection. Uh, what did they do to Whedon's script? <laughs> because, like, again, there there was those bits of it's like you could tell, like you could see the the, the pinch of Whedon throughout. Mm-hmm. And, and where you get some of that the comedic points uh there there's a couple lines that got a pretty good chuckle out of me and i'm like i'm pretty sure that was probably the only line that was left in from what was from the Whedon's actual script the dialogue the, the problem with whedon's dialogue is 92 would have been ahead of the time yeah or like the whedonisms oh, that kind maybe. of like like it probably would have played well in the uk mm. But not in America. I mean, it was 92. We probably had, like, I'm taking a guess, but I'm saying, like, Encino Man at that time. Like, that was the, that was, yeah, 92 Encino Man. That that was the kind of humor that was coming out at that time, from my recollection. Mind you, I was not very old. Yeah. (laughs) But the... Like Brendan Fraser, Polly Shore kind of stuff, where it's really big at that time. Mm. Probably some Adam Sandler stuff too. So it's like that's the kind of humor America's was working with. So the Whedonisms wouldn't follow through, and that's probably why they did what they did. Like they Encino manned Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With that being said, like wasn't like Buffy was the start of the Whedonisms. Even then it was ahead of its time. It was years before other shows really started to catch up to that. Yeah. So I'm saying like, he was way ahead of the curve on that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's fair. If I'm looking at it from trying to step back to, you know, mini me, uh, age. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a bit hard to do. Those aren't not exactly the movies that I think of for, uh, great comedy around that time either so i mean it's hard to say there was probably a lot of snl stuff too mm. actually yeah probably yeah. oh yeah there would have been yeah i know i think that's around the time of like coneheads and yeah coneheads was 93 yeah which had sandler i mean uh, with, the, with that being said i mean we had the comedy like just using the snl side of things um wayne's world had some of that clever dialogue uh blues brothers but I mean, I guess those are kind of the outliers. Well, Blues, Blues Brothers is much earlier. Well, yeah, Blues Brothers is also like a one-off. Wayne's World was still well shrouded in. It was using that early '90s humor, like a dash of spite and salt on the tail. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, like a reverse bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's more the. Yeah, you're right. So, so I can think of some examples of that type of thing being there, but yeah, you're right. It's still the outlier by far, and probably not what people think of those movies as, even though it's there. And that is that's fair. It makes me wonder. Like this movie makes me wonder if they wanted this to be a launching point for a TV show, and have it be like a, a TGIF Friday night show. Or like a uh, primetime contender, like sitcom. Hmm. And that's like the groundwork that like execs wanted to do. You can tell that's not what Joss wanted. That's interesting. I don't, I'm just trying to think and putting myself more into the time period. I don't know how much that was done at that time. Oh, they were, they were. They were freaking three shakes away from having the the episode where uh, Nikki gets hooked on freaking caffeine pills and can't stop because she needs to study. And then <laughs> they have like a cry fest and Buffy is there to emotionally console her. And that was their anti-drugs episode. Like, <laughs> Well, so... I think I can say <laughs> I think I can say with certainty they didn't think this they, they weren't either they weren't planning on making a series with it or um the movie did that badly that they couldn't do it. Um but I didn't think the movie did badly. 
And the reason I say this is because the only reason the series got made was they're like, they canceled a show partway through the year and needed something. And basically they had Whedon's original script. And it was never expected to last any more than that. Like, Wait. The ending and such like that, it didn't feel, it felt very much in the vein of like the 16 Candles Breakfast Club mm. type, type films. So it never entered my mind that this was trying to be a launching point for a series. Makes sense. I, I definitely think there was exec meddling that just went like, lol, this, this treasure chest here is popular these days. Let's just ruin this script with it. Yeah. Because you can it, even see like the, um, you, you could segment the segment, this movie and then take those scenes and a whole bunch of them, at least like the important scenes would have been all over the first, like season one to season three of the yeah. show. Yeah. I, I half expected the showdown at the end to be like, Oh no, Buffy like um got partially drained and then drowned in a puddle or whatever, then got saved. And then, yeah, and then Pike come and she technically died and Pike comes and gives her CPR and saves her life. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm I'm pretty sure in the TV show too that that was under the gymnasium. Yes. Uh where that occurred. Um, uh I'm not a hundred. I cannot quite remember if that's where it was for where that occurred. I know a lot of other stuff definitely happened under the library and under the gymnasium. It's not uncommon <laughs> for it to happen in the gymnasium and Buffy to possibly blow up a school. <laughs> yeah, it just the the movie didn't deliver on anything. I guess is my like roundabout way, uh, or my my point from this roundabout spiel that I've been. Yeah. It got a few chuckles out of me. There wasn't really any action. At least I'm I was satisfied in the fact that I'm pretty sure Luke Perry can ride a motorbike. I knew you were gonna say something like <laughs> I was hoping you'd say something like that. I just don't know enough to say. <laughs> well he came in and I think he I think he actually rode in and cut the engine and had it in neutral. Because mm. when he was push when he was pushing the bike, um he didn't. He didn't have the clutch in, which means it would have had to been in neutral. Otherwise, it wouldn't have rolled forward. Yeah. And whether or not he like spun around the bike and like sped off, that's a different thing. Like, mm. I mean, I guess it's '92 and it wasn't like the biggest production movie. They might have made him actually do that, but nowadays that's a stunt person because you can't have yeah. a person hurt themselves. At least the character knew. Which, which, which. Oh. <laughs> so he had a van, crashed the van. Got a dirt bike. Yep. Dirt bike goes missing. Then randomly got a cruiser. I like to think that, that cruiser was the one that Buffy stole. That one crashed too. What happened to the dirt bike? Yeah, but, but it crashed at a slow speed and there's something that might have handled it. You could definitely tell the the different form of the person riding that bike. Uh, when it was supposed to be Buffy. I noticed that right away. <laughs> From scene to scene, I'm like, damn, girl, you got thick. Oh. Um, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> On the upside, nothing about the acting of our, like, three protagonists, I guess you could say. Uh, Merrick, Buffy, and Pike took me out of the film. Yes. I mean, Merrick, like those foundations, if they were, if the foundations of the TV show, and this is sucks because I'm usually really good about being able to separate a film out of whatever universe it's supposed to be in just yeah. to increase my enjoyment. But if Merrick hadn't been kind of like a stodgy, uptight, can't make a joke type, as a watcher, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed his character as much. I mean, like, Pike, you had your, like, bad boy, I don't care, obviously, Spike slash Angel together yeah, kind of thing going on. But 
of all the recollections of Buffy from the TV show, this version of Buffy would definitely be something that she would look down upon in the past Mm -hmm. and seems like what she would have been referencing to. Like, only cared about jackets and nails and didn't care about studying. Yeah. Um, Again, this just goes to say the legacy of Buffy. (laughs) Mm. Because, because, like, I mean, you entered it proper, like 100% the right way, because it's almost impossible to separate them. I mean, if I did it the um, right way, it would be, was it, today we'll be discussing 1992's uh, stepping off point from the far better show Angel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Buffy, it's like, there's that mix of... <laughs> There, there's a nice mix in in Buffy's character in this film, at least to me. It's like I could see what we would get for the Buffy in the in the series. Like I could see her kind of being vapid and then going through the hardships and changing like she does, with a little bit of what people perceived Cordelia as being. Mm. Is kind of what what I could see in. Um, in Swanson's Buffy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is, this is something that kind of, I wonder if it paints it a little bit because, you know, the, the what five years between this movie coming out and the series actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the SoCal personality type, the Valley girl mm. type was more in the mainstream by the time Buffy came out. I feel from my recollections of being a kid was this is kind of around the times that when that started happening. So I almost wonder how much of the camp is camp and how much of it is. Nope. This is how some SoCal girls actually are. Something in things like, I think babysitters or sweet Valley high, um, um, clueless, those types of uh, films start bringing that personality out. I just can't think of. I, I think that had been like a long-standing kind of like cultural thing that had been going on. on because you got to think like, say, by the Bell was in '89, mm. so that was definitely like Valley Girl, Valley Boy, like yeah, that's true. Um, so I think late '80s, early '90s. So yeah. for them, so I think like the original intention of the writing of this film was to, I mean, I, I'm just guessing, but it was probably to play with that and draw it in a question and make fun of it while replicating it. The mm-hmm. kind of like the standard whedonisms that you'd have. Yeah. Meaning that um, might have been another reason why. It was changed because again, mm-hmm. ahead of its time. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. And I knew all of these shows were around the same time. I didn't know the exact order of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, was like a little too young. Clueless was 95. So yeah, clueless would be that clueless to me is that stepping point between the, this type of, of SoCal um, characterization and what we get from Buffy, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, oh yeah, no, totally a valley girl, but clearly intelligent, clearly knows what she's doing, has drive, just has that mannerism that is easy to dismiss. Um, legally Blonde later followed in that same trend. Um, yeah, but I mean, Le- Legally Blonde, I think, would have been more on track with what was intended for this Buffy yes. film. Like, if I'm reading it correct i agree um i mean a good example is the her using her keen fashion sense quite <laughs> <low post. laughs> um that was very much a legally blonde type <laughs> way to handle that um it's interesting because le- legally blonde was definitely making fun and criticizing like the uh, like that vapidness and that like surface level cultural thing that was going on at that time. And it came out at like 2001, which would yeah. have been on the tail end 
And then uh, when did when did the Buffy TV show come out? Ninety seven. Ninety seven. Yeah. So it's it's likely whatever cultural shift was occurring there in what was popular to portray on sc- uh, screen mm-hmm. was likely marked by the Buffy becoming popular. Yeah. Yeah. Took it a different way, but I could see that. Like, you're, like I said, to circle back, um, I do think, yeah, the three mains definitely, they did well to portray what they were given. Yes. Um, it was... <laughs> Which wasn't much. Yeah. It was... It was believable. Like, I believe, like, Christy Swanson's facial reactions to some of the stuff that was happening after, after she, you know, experienced the quote-unquote real world, right, where her friends are going, but I'll never get that jacket back, not caring that her friends, her friends, you know, gone missing or dead. (laughs) And you just kind of see that glimpse from her and, um, when she kind of goes off on her friends, like, no, I'm dealing with some stuff and all of her friends just kind of walk off on her. And he can, like, she was good at portraying the emotions um, that I would expect there. Um, agreed. Uh, Merrick's not knowing how to make a joke, <laughs> just being that super stoic worked really well. I could, I can definitely see the proto Giles in that. Um, and he, Pike just Luke Perry's Pike just he was there he, he seemed to care even when we first he wanted to get out and but found that reason and all believable I enjoyed that and dreamy and dreamy <laughs> well, that's so, because that's because he's the mix of Angel and Spike <laughs> <laughs> he's he's not a he's not a dip like Angel and he's not a jerk like Spike. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Every time I saw it, though, I ke- I kept seeing like, did James Marsters dye his hair? <laughs> like, there's just enough of the way that Luke Perry looked. It's like I could just see that spike. <laughs> I do. I do like when he's shaving and he like covers his entire face and all he does is like trim the sideburns and then like snips off the soul patch, and he goes from like. Being a scrub to being like, like handsome Luke Perry. <laughs> yeah, it's it was it was entertaining. So, so then I guess, what do you think, Pike or handsome but useless cop? It was oh. more dreamy. <laughs> hmm. Oh. I. I think Pike's more dreamy than handsome cop. Than handsome cop. Handsome's because he's dreamy and not completely useless. Look, some people's marks in life are to be handsome. Look, handsome I'm cop. Not just, I'm not just looking for a tri- trophy husband. Though. <laughs> um, and of course, we're referencing. For the listeners, we're referencing um, handsome co- handsome cop in Squid Game, who shouldn't have been there. Great actor, though. Yeah, like that's another case of doing the best with what he was given. Um, that's that's another thing. The actors, I don't think any like a lot of the other actors are just kind of like, uh, didn't feel it. Buffy's click just threw me out of, off completely. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's uh, like, it's like, okay. It's almost as if to Cordelia without any growth. And then you separated her personality into three people. That was Buffy's click in this movie. It really was. And even then, Cordelia before growth was still more complex. Yeah. It was usually like 
statements and one-liners in the TV show. My dad's being done for tax evasion, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, um, uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't like the. I didn't like the click. You know what? This made me think. This this gave me some like proto craft feelings too. Mm. But then again, I might just be like, oh, they both involve like teenage high school girls, and a bunch of them aren't great. So. And the, the, and the movie, dudes are kind of rapey. <laughs> so the movie that actually came out that came to my mind immediately was um, Mean Girls without having um, any complexity. Without having any complexity and you know not someone infiltrating them. We're just watching the Mean Girls. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, w- without uh, Lohan coming in and shaking things up. <laughs> so the the pre pre Lohan Mean Girls, yeah, yeah, they're all just like, oh, the, I've got ESPN. <laughs> but even I then, though, like those really are like funny lines. Yeah. <laughs> no, just just that like that vapidness. It's just like, and like I'm watching this, and I'm like, yeah, just man, there were terrible people, <laughs> but they thought of the environment. That sounds like California. <laughs> Get rid of all the bugs. <laughs> um, I really wonder if they. I'm gonna have to actually check here, uh, to see if there was any like subwriters or whatever they'd be called. Yeah, I'm not sure who else got writing credit. I don't think anyone else did. Now it doesn't look like anyone else did. I know Whedon's come out and said, it's like, no, this wasn't his script. That There was a lot of ad-libs and, and, and things changing it as well. Um, apparently, did I think I saw something about there being a comic that was closer to what his original script was. Oh, that'd be sweet. Yeah. I mean, I'd prefer, like, a little cartoon thing. Yeah. As long as long as it isn't like Korean manual where it's like just like a long panel. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's terrible. Like Korean music, like Korean TV. But that long strip panel, no, that's gotta go. The webtoon yeah. style is <laughs> Did you like that uh Ben Affleck cameo before it would be considered a cameo? Wait, Ben Affleck was in this film? Okay, clearly you missed it. Um, he was a basketball player on the opposing team. Really? Yep. Really? <laughs> yep. He was uncredited, and it's one of his earliest uh, on screen. Technically, Seth Green was in it, too. Was the hand? Hmm? Was Seth the hand? <laughs> the vital hands? Yeah, no, it took me a sec. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what it, what I don't understand is like if if Ben Affleck was in this movie, was Matt Damon? Because hmm. I'm Must pretty sure break. it exists in a case that if Matt Damon isn't in this film, then Ben Affleck was never actually in it. Well, again, if you look at the credits, he never was. <laughs> like in, in Batman v Superman, Matt Damon was the spear. Obviously. <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> oh, Matt Damon. <laughs> um, there is a lot of cast in this film, actually, that I think was fairly early for them. Um, there, there's a few. I think this is one of Luke Perry's earlier roles as well. Um, David Arquette was in it. I think Pretty early for him too. Yeah, I wonder about this. Uh... Now, Luke, I'm pretty sure Luke Perry was like getting pretty big at that. Might have been around the time. Uh, I can't quite remember. Uh, no. <laughs> nope. Wait, wasn't he? No, he was. What? I guess it's in seven episodes of a TV series that I've never heard of. Or a few episodes of some TV series I've never heard of. 
Oh, man. Oh, that's why, yeah. I, I, was, I was trying to figure out, like, why was he so popular? Because I, I was pretty sure it was not his role in The Fifth Element. Uh, it was clearly Mortal Kombat. <laughs> no, 90210. The TV series. Had started yeah, in 1990. Yeah. So he was definitely, like, on his rise. 90210 started that early? I thought it... In 1990 to 2000. Oh, wow. I know, fair enough. I mean, still still fairly early in his career. I mean, this probably means it was being filmed around the same time as 90210. Mm. Um, Casting probably would have been done around, around that same time, so. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, there's not, not much else I can say about Buffy. Uh, I wish when they got stabbed in the chest, they'd burst into flames. That the climax of the movie was not great. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think having the gym burn would have at least been something like a carry type moment. Like that's what I picture Whedon's vision of of the end of this film as. Well, just like if you think if you think about that ending scene, this is. This is the actual reason why I'm dissatisfied with the film. If you think about the ending scene, uh, they go downstairs and there's this whole thing that, like, they imply that the music can keep the vampire alive even though he was stabbed in the chest. Yeah. And then there's, like, that whole, like, no, I'm shaking my head no. And at least that was what was implied to me. Is that mm. something I... No, that's wrong. That's very wrong. Wow. So for something that I held on from like one of my original viewings like back in the day, yeah. probably when I saw this on TV or something, was that the reason why Emmeline's character could do his like ooh ah uh, e like routine it was because the violin was playing mm. and it was the music that was keeping him alive but no that's not correct the music was what was hypnotizing yeah and then when the music stopped Buffy was no longer hypnotized but even then like it wasn't even a big show of it yeah like it felt felt like it was done in a garage yeah felt like a student project at that point it, that's that's really a good way of putting it it's yeah just it didn't quite fit it just didn't quite fit overall uh, it didn't show it properly you had the ooehs and like see and and if like i could see that perception definitely making that fit more. And that's why I was going to like, is he going to come back? I mean, again, they even played with that in the TV series when Buffy actually fought Dracula because he kept coming back even after he was dusted. <laughs> um, like why the burning of the gym would have made more sense. It would have make Lothos and Amlin out to be more of a threat that you have to do something more drastic well, because way- it didn't feel like there was a threat. Well, the way that I would have seen the burning of the gym happen is that the gym got set on fire and like the final con, uh, the kind of final confrontation happening, like that making it more urgent. Because mm-hmm. it, it didn't even feel like it didn't feel any like there was any urgency in that conflict at the end. Like, one of the vampires was dead. Lothos is supposed to be, like, quite powerful and taking out a bunch of slayers. But, like, he just came off as a lecherous old man that was, like, feeling up some high schooler. Yeah. And... Really did. <laughs> um, it... Well, I guess... I mean, again, obviously, I don't know what the original script was. Um, so I have to, of course, pull these references from the tv show but it's like no she intentionally set the gym on fire 
it wasn't a accident thing. It was that's how she defeated them hmm. because it was more overrun. And well, I mean, technically, you you wouldn't be able to pull that into the movie. Hmm. It being recognized as like non-canon. Yeah, and the fact that it didn't happen, it should have happened. That's what <laughs> that's what I'm going. It's like should have happened, and things like that. I think would have would have helped this film out. Right, because now all of a sudden you have more of that conflict. I mean, the senior dance, there was like, em- it was like empty. So even when you had the vampires attacking, it's like, what, there's a dozen people in the gym? What is this, a school in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> it, it took, again, away a lot of that threat. I think there was more vampires than students. <laughs> Well, it's a, that's another thing, like, I didn't feel like Buffy was in danger. That wasn't expressed at, well at all. Um, what happened to the vampires after Lothos die, died wasn't expressed. Yeah. So if this, if this was the series, they would have either done it so that when Lothos was stabbed, the other ones died, or ran away, you know, calling yeah. for revenge or something. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So was there a conflict? Like, it was all very vague. It was like, oh, this stuff happened in the past. It's like, what did the previous, like, did the previous Slayers die from lechery? They were just I mean, made so uncomfortable, they burst into flames <laughs> by this old man. Oh, it was... I mean, yeah, that's pretty much happened. I mean, we see it in one of her dreams. <laughs> Like, um, though actually like the bursting into flame thing, um, I did appreciate that they did that with the cross. Mm. Like, nope, not afraid of the cross. It, it reminded me again of like some of the stuff they did in Dracula 2000, another terrible movie. Hey, don't you the besmirch author. Dracula 2000. <laughs> oh, I will besmirch it. Entertaining, <laughs> but terrible. But, but it was that same type of thing. It's like, I've done this long enough. I don't care. Um, I kind of appreciated that. But he betrayed um, Jesus. <laughs> it was um, so good. An entire entire movie based around one line. Um The the problem with the I, I do appreciate the whole like cross bursting into flames thing, but the thing is they never expressed any of the other crosses bursting into frames until that point. We'd never seen anything we'd never seen a vampire grab a cross directly before? Well, just it makes the like the comedic moment of like now I'm using hairspray or uh, mouth spray to like shoot fire at you. Yeah, so I it, agree. That should the have had actual, a setup the, the thing of it actually burnishing in a flame. Yeah, I should have had the setup payoff. Um, I'm meaning more. I appreciate the fact that the vampire was just like that. Lothos was just like I've dealt with this mm. and didn't let him. Didn't let it cower him. Yeah, it was just like, like, like I I'm gonna get up on that teenager and nothing no crosses gonna yeah. prevent me. This is Hollywood, baby. <laughs> I'm not just laughing to myself. That was like face palmed right now. Um <laughs> I had something else I was going to say. It's gone. Thanks, Drew. <laughs> you chased it away like a Hollywood exec. Uh, <laughs> no, they don't leave. They want the roles. Um, <coughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know really what else I could say about the series. I, I'm with you there. It's the... Uh, I can see the threads of what became Buffy. This was, I guess, a good abstract for what the series was. Mm. Let's let's put it that way. And I think, given like what I think is our mutual perception of this film, I'd probably say this one is three vampires. There's no out of. No, no, just three. <laughs> just three. <laughs> because again, like. It's it's not complete. It's not flushed out. It's not what it should have been. Yeah. Um, um, if if anything, this should have been, you know, a twenty-two minute 
something on a Saturday afternoon or even like a 40 some odd minute pilot. Yeah. Like shouldn't have been a movie. There wasn't pretty much anything to it. And honestly, there was no stakes. Yeah. Which is a shame because all considering all the rulers she used, it didn't measure up. Um, with that being said, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's, I I think it's worth a watch, but you have to watch it. You have, and you have to either completely divorce yourself from your series, from the series, or again, recognize that this was a proto version of what the series would actually want to become. Yeah, I think I think this is a movie you have to watch with friends and you kind of have to like mystery science theater. Yeah. That's yeah. that's all I can think of cuz I don't think it has redeeming qualities except for the fact that like it gave Buffy a name to which it then eventually could become something. Yeah. It's kind of how like it's kind of like how Firefly wasn't actually that great but could have been the best thing ever. Yeah. Sorry, fanboys. <laughs> Serenity was good. Don't worry, I'm sure we'll be getting into that soon enough. Just like a Lothos is trying to get in that. You know what? I, I, I've got it. All right. The E.T. defense. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in this was intentional. This is actually Joss, Joss Whedon low-key just calling out the uh, Hollywood and Hollywood execs and like the weird like sexual undertones and it's all intentional. It's not canon to the TV show because this is actually critiquing Hollywood society. <laughs> I guess with that we should wrap it up. <laughs> Before anyone gets a chance to uh, disprove me. Either way, I think everyone should give it a watch, but again, do it with friends, Mystery Science Theater it, and don't go into it expecting to like come out exclaiming it's a masterpiece, because it's not. It really isn't, even compared to a lot of the other movies that came out around this time. <laughs> I think I would have rather watched Encino Man. <laughs> I mean, Biodome was yeah. good. Yeah. Bill and Ted and Wayne's World came out that year, too. I just see it in my head now. Me and you being forced to, like, defend our position on this one. And EFAP with those guys will saw somebody who's far more eloquent is just like, no, you see, this is the greatest movie of all time because. Oh, I get it. You have no taste. I mean. (laughs) An individual is allowed to like the things that they like. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're right. (laughs) (laughs) With that, this has been Beardy and the Beast Media Club. Join us next time where we discuss the film Boss Level. As always, if you enjoyed what we do, feel free to like and subscribe or join us in the conversation in the comments or at our Discord. Later.